Chapter 30 Returning to an Old Love I had already begun work on my animated project Victor, and now I wanted to take a stab and revisit something that I missed and still loved. Wrestling. No, I wasn't going to try to become a professional wrestler, but I decided to try and capitalize on the success of the Joeylicious character that I had created many, many years ago and that got some great response in the Z-Rock episode. I wrote up a small story synopsis and created a fun backstory for the Joeylicious character that was based heavily on my real life. I figured, based on real life, worked for Z-Rock, maybe it'll work for Joeylicious. After writing the basic story for the pilot episode of Joeylicious, I knew I needed to spice it up a little. I remembered that a friend of mine from grammar school, Chris Lynn, was a really talented scriptwriter, and I decided to give him a call. Chris and I actually have the exact same birth date, January 21st, 1974. I decided to call him and grab a few drinks and talk about the new project I was developing. That night was a big snowstorm, and we talked for a couple of hours about Joeylicious. Chris seemed really into it and familiar with the episode of Z-Rock in which Joeylicious appeared. I enlisted Chris to take my two-page story synopsis and come up with a full pilot episode script. What I really wanted from Chris was to somehow capture our youth in the pages of Joeylicious. Yes, Joeylicious was going to be mostly about wrestling, but more importantly, it was going to be about Joeylicious, how he grew up, and the struggles of trying to make his dream of becoming the greatest professional wrestler of all time a reality. The main characters of the show would be, of course, Joeylicious, his lifelong buddy, Scally, and his mom, Mrs. C. A few days later, Chris emailed me the first draft of the pilot episode. I couldn't believe how fast he wrote it. I was very excited to read it and hoped for the best. Midway through, I really started to feel like I was back in my childhood. Chris really had a way of capturing the dialogue of our youth. It was perfect. He also retitled the show Wrestling with Joey Licious to capitalize on the kind of double entendre. One way of looking at it meant that it was a show about wrestling and about the title character, Joey Licious. Another way, and really the way I always think of it, was me constantly wrestling with my alter ego, Joey Licious. The next step would be to approach my old Z-Rock producers to see if they had any interest in wrestling with Joey Licious. As soon as I emailed Mark Effman the idea, he sounded interested. He also knew that the Joey Licious character was a hit for Z-Rock and thought we could capitalize on it. He wanted Chris and I to come up to the Mark Mark office as soon as possible to discuss. Mark Mark eventually agreed to produce a short sizzle reel for Joey Licious, much like they had done for Z-Rock. The only problem was that they wanted it to be almost a quasi-reality show and to actually follow me trying to become a wrestler. Unfortunately, the TV landscape at this time was all reality TV. It was what everyone wanted. It was cheap, fast, and easy to make. That's not at all what I was looking to do. I wanted Wrestling with Joey Licious to be fully scripted with some room for improv. This caused a little bit of a rift when it came time to film the sizzle, and it didn't turn out as well as I expected. It's so funny to me when people ask, how did you know how to develop an animated series? 
Or how did you create Wrestling with Joey Licious? The answer is that I actually had no idea how to develop an animated series like Victor or a live-action comedy like Joey Licious. I simply had a dream, a vision, and I went out and did it. It was the same scenario as playing my drums. I saw Kiss at Madison Square Garden when I was five years old and decided from that day I was going to play the drums for the rest of my life. Everything that's worth anything in life takes a tremendous amount of work, sacrifice, and passion. In the case of my animated show, Victor, it took many hours, days, and months of research. I can't even tell you the number of books I read on how to develop an animated series or how many online seminars that I watched on how to pitch an animated series. When I want to do something, nothing will stop me from accomplishing that goal. If there's one message above all others that I want my kids to absorb from listening to this book is that you can do anything you set your mind to as long as you work hard enough at it and don't let people tell you that you can't do it. The only people that fail are the ones that never try. When I started up work again on Wrestling with Joey Licious, my partner Chris and I admitted that we were never pleased with the original Sizzle demo that was filmed by my old Xerox producers. I always felt that it was missing something. I decided I wanted to add some star power to the show. A few months later, I visited New York City Comic Con like I did most years. I was there mainly to fill up my comic book collection and try to make some connections for my animated series. Soon after I entered, I ran into an old friend named Brimstone. Brim had been an independent wrestler and a big fan of Xerox. I mentioned to him about the Joey Licious concept and he asked me if I wanted to meet a few wrestlers who were signing autographs at a nearby table. I, of course, said, I'd love to. Brim introduced me to Tito Santana, Brutus Beefcake, and Greg Valentine. They were all very nice, and Brim briefly explained to them that I was putting together a new wrestling comedy series. I exchanged numbers with all of them and said I would be in touch. I thanked Brim for the introductions, and before we parted ways, he said, Hey, I also have Jimmy Snooker's contact info. Do you want that as well? Jimmy had been the first wrestler I'd ever loved, and I was extremely excited about the possibility of meeting and working with him. When I got home from Comic-Con that night, I began writing a short that involved Joey Licious and Jimmy Snooker. Now that I had access to some of these wrestling legends, my idea was to have them appear in Wrestling with Joey Licious as figments of my imagination. This would allow me to put myself and the legends in all sorts of wacky situations. I thought that if I could just film a few shorts with them, I could put together a dynamic sizzle reel that I could pitch to networks. The next day, I sent an email to the contact that Brimstone had given me for Snooker. It was actually his wife, Carol's, email address. In the message, I explained who I was and that I starred in a hit TV show called Xerox and that I was currently developing a new project about wrestling. Carol emailed me back quickly and said that Jimmy would definitely be interested. I couldn't believe it. I was going to be filming with WWF legend Jimmy Superfly Snooker for a TV project that I wrote and created. I emailed Chris the outline for the Snooker script so that he could work his magic on it. As usual, he didn't disappoint. I gathered a small crew filled with friends and old colleagues. 
Scally's wife was going to do makeup, and Scally himself would be on set to help out any way he could. Almost 30 years prior, Scally had been with me at Madison Square Garden to watch Jimmy Snooker wrestle. I enlisted another longtime friend, Travis Mitterway, to be one of the cameramen. I really wanted to sort of reenact Snooker's classic appearance on Piper's Pit. I couldn't pass up the opportunity to write in the script that Snooker would hit me in the head with a coconut. I stayed up all night before filming, cutting and getting the coconuts ready for him to smash me with. At the end of the scene, it would be revealed that Jimmy was never actually there, and I'd hit myself over the head with a rock. (laughs) On August 29th, 2013, we filmed the first Wrestling with Joey Licious short with wrestling legend Jimmy Superfly Snooker. I just can't believe I'm sitting next to Jimmy Superfly Snooker. I saw you wrestle Rene Goulet at the Garden in 84. That's that night that Hulk Hogan, the Boston, won the title. I know. Where are you headed? I'm actually headed to a match. I'm a wrestler too. WWE? No. The Brooklyn Regional Amateur Wrestling League. Is that your gear there, brother? Can I check it out? Yeah, sure. They call me Joey Licious, the Italian dream. You look like a half a tranny to me. I had sent the script to Jimmy's wife a week prior for Jimmy to learn. Even though the show was going to be partly improv, I still needed Jimmy to learn the basic beats so we could get through it. That's when Jimmy's wife informed me that he couldn't read or write, and it might be hard for him to memorize his lines. I told her not to worry and that we'd figure it out. On the day of filming, Jimmy was an absolute gentleman and sweetheart. Even though it was a struggle to get him to say most of the lines we needed him to deliver, the whole day was a dream come true. Because it was so hard to get Snooker to say his lines correctly, I really held his hand and personally helped him with every single word. His wife was so thankful of how I helped Jimmy that day. We scouted out the perfect location up in the Bronx, New York. While we were filming, every car that passed screamed out, Snooker! He was still a legend. By the end of the day, not only had we gotten some amazing footage, but we also got even more amazing bloopers. I felt I had made genuine friends with Jimmy and his wife Carol that day. While we were editing the snooker short, I was already setting up our next two shoots, this time with Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Greg the Hammer Valentine, and then a few weeks later with Tito Santana, More of my childhood favorites. We went through the same process as we did with the Snooker episode. I came up with the initial draft of the script because I knew these wrestlers better than anyone and knew the best way to utilize their unique personalities. Once I had the plot outlined, Chris took over to beef up the dialogue and the jokes. We were working perfectly together. The Beefcake Valentine episode would end with the barber giving Joey Licious a haircut. I had everything set. Both wrestlers were coming into town for a local comic convention, and we would film around their schedule. 
I had both wrestlers schedule their flight out of New York City late in the evening the day after the comic convention so that we could film early that morning. Two days before the scheduled shoot, Brutus called me to tell me there must have been some kind of mix-up. He said he couldn't possibly film the day after the convention because he was flying out early that morning. I was very upset because Greg told me he had spoken to Brutus directly and confirmed that they would both be taking a 7 p.m. flight out of New York City to Tampa. Something started to smell a little fishy to me. I told Brutus to give me his flight info and I would change it so that he could fly out later that evening with Greg. I told him that I would cover the extra costs and penalties. Seconds after I suggested this, I could hear him whispering in the background. Brutus then said, You know, if I'm going to be doing this, I really need to be making more money. I had already negotiated with Greg and Brutus and agreed upon a price. Now that my crew and my location were all booked, Brutus was trying to squeeze more money out of me. Even though I loved Brutus as a wrestler, I flat out refused. I immediately called Greg Valentine to explain the situation. Greg said, Yep, that's Brutus, an effing liar. I told Greg that it wasn't about the few extra hundred dollars that Brutus was trying to get out of me. It was more the fact that I couldn't be sure that Brutus wouldn't pull another stunt like this the morning of the shoot. I apologized to Greg, but I had to cancel the whole shoot. Brutus's reputation as an ass turned out to be true. A few weeks later, we filmed a great episode with Tito Santana. He was an absolute professional and a joy to work with. He arrived on set prepared and he knew his lines inside and out. He even delivered his signature devastating flying forearm to me at the end of the scene. Wait, you're Tito Santana. Lish, I heard what you were saying to your little friend. You can never give up on your dream. Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You were the Intercontinental Champion. Let me tell you a story about a little boy from Mexico named Clarence. They have Clarences in Mexico? Just stick with me. He was bitten by a snake. Not a poisonous snake, but a snake nonetheless. When he grew up, he got a job with a phone company. His family was really proud of him. He used to install phones all around the country. One day, he even worked through a tornado. Tito, are you Clarence? Are you this little boy from Mexico? No, I'm from Texas. Am I Clarence? Don't you know your own name? Then what's the point of this story? The point is, hard work pays off. It took me 10 years of sweat and determination before I got my title shot against Don Morocco. Hard work? The hoaxer got his title shot after one month. Don't remind me, that son of a bitch. Don't you see, it has nothing to do with sweat or determination or little Mexican Clarences. It's just dumb luck. Look, you're a waiter at the taco house. The hoaxer's a multimillionaire. Here. Hold this, would you? As great as it was to have Tito and Snooker on board and now on film, I knew 
I needed bigger names to get Joey Licious to the level I wanted it to be. The whole fiasco at Brutus Beefcake really lit a fire under me. I went on a rampage and attempted to contact every wrestler I loved as a kid. Once I had Jimmy on board and on film, my plan was to use his notoriety to lure other wrestlers to the project. Jimmy was still very well liked and respected in the wrestling business. I reached out first to the Ultimate Warrior, definitely a favorite of mine as a kid, so I thought I might as well start at the top of my wish list. Everyone always asks me, how did you get all those wrestling legends to film with you? My answer was always the same. It's the same way I've accomplished everything I've ever done with hard work, hustle, and determination. I spent hours upon hours sending emails to find each of their contact numbers or email addresses. For the Ultimate Warrior, I succeeded in tracking down someone who booked Warrior for various projects. This was always my biggest obstacle with getting the wrestlers to film with me for Joey Licious, getting past their agents. I sent a detailed email explaining wrestling with Joey Licious to Warrior's agent, along with the edited Jimmy Snooker short and assumed I would get a generic response back. A few days later, I received a long, friendly email from the Ultimate Warrior himself. Warrior said he was very interested in the project and absolutely loved the comedy in the snooker short. We exchanged over a half a dozen emails discussing how to best use his character for the show. Once we settled on a few details, I began coming up with the first draft of the script. About a week later, Warrior emailed me apologizing that he would have to put off any plans to film with us for the time being. WWE had just contacted him about being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, the Ultimate Warrior passed away just two days after his Hall of Fame induction. So sad. The three other dream gets for me were Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper, and Ric Flair. After weeks of gathering the information I would need to contact these legends, I began sending my pitch emails. I was able to get Roddy's personal email, but for Rick and Hulk, I could only find their agent's contact info. I exchanged a few emails with Roddy, and he seemed very interested. Because Chris and I were funding all costs, the plan was to film around the particular wrestler's travel schedule. That way, we wouldn't have to fly anyone in or out. We would work around their schedule when they were in town. I researched Roddy's schedule over the next few months and saw the next time he'd be in New York. Roddy was scheduled to make an appearance at a comic wrestling event near Kennedy Airport, and I knew this was the perfect opportunity to get Roddy to film with us. I slightly altered the already existing script we wrote for Beefcake and Valentine and made it specific to Roddy's character. I sent it to Roddy along with the proposed dates and anxiously awaited to hear his response. The next morning, I woke up to a voice message from the Hot Rod himself. It was so surreal to hear Roddy Piper on my voicemail, talking to me. It was insane. Roddy said, Hey Joe, it's Rod. Love the script. Let's make this work. Call back soon. I move fast. <laughs> After a half a dozen or so phone conversations, I secured Roddy Piper to film with us for an episode of Wrestling with Joey Licious. 
Because of what happened with Beefcake, I didn't want to get too excited until Roddy was actually on set. I secured my small crew once again. It was filled with friends, former bandmates, and just about anyone that wanted to help out. I also secured a great location for us to film, the basement of one of my drum students on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It was to act as Joey Licious's bedroom. To set the scene correctly, I brought over tons of wrestling paraphernalia from my personal collection, including toys, belts, posters, books, and DVDs. I made the room look very much how my bedroom looked as a kid. The only difference was that the other half of the room would have been my drums and wall-to-wall kiss items. I also enlisted a good friend of mine, Will Seaver, to pick up Roddy from his hotel at Kennedy Airport. The team that I assembled to film Joey Licious was really unbelievable. Each of them went over and above to make this dream a reality. Sada Entertainment Productions were alive and well. Once Roddy arrived on set, he was an absolute joy to work with and to be around. He was constantly cracking jokes and telling us old war stories. He learned the script really well, and it took him only a few takes to start opening up and understanding the world that Joey Licious lived in. By the end of the episode, I was in a kilt just like Roddy's and in a devastating sleeper hold. Roddy told us the story about the time he was half blackface at WrestleMania 2 and how Andre the Giant and Arnold Skolin poured out his makeup remover. He had to go to the airport half in blackface. <laughs> what a nightmare. The whole day of filming was surreal and amazing. It was one of the most fulfilling experiences of my entire life. All the prep, scheduling, emails, phone calls, script writing, location scouting, getting cameramen, makeup, lights, sound equipment. All of it was so new to me, yet somehow I got it all done. I set out to make this TV show with these amazing wrestlers and nothing was going to stop me. Rowdy Roddy Piper? What? What? Really? You have a giant poster of my sworn enemy? And a little tiny itty bitty one of me? I sleep with Minnie Roddy every night. I don't like the sound of that. And you know what else I don't like? This bitch! No! There! There you go! Save your blonde damsel in distress, huh? I was gonna get him laminated this week! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass! I guess you're all out of bubblegum? It just goes to show you. If you put your mind and energy into something, you can really accomplish anything. Whether or not this show ever gets picked up by a television network doesn't matter. I made it happen. It's a reality now. While driving home later that night, I had another frozen moment. I think it was the first one that happened after the specific moment had already passed. In fact, this one was more of a realization moment. As I was thinking about my day of filming with Roddy, I realized, probably for the first time in my career, 
that it wasn't about the commercial success or money you made with a project that was the fulfilling part. It was about seeing a dream or vision you have all the way through until it becomes reality, whether that be playing the drums, opening for Kiss, or even writing this book. See what you want to accomplish in your head. Figure out all the steps it'll take to achieve that goal, and then work tirelessly, fearlessly, until you climb each one of those steps to make that dream a reality. Don't let anyone or anything stand in your way. All the while I was filming Wrestling with Joey Licious, I was still playing eight shows a week in The Great Comet. It was really the most rewarding time of all of my life. I was working full-time playing my drums and supporting my family, all while filming a show starring myself and all of my wrestling heroes growing up. Madeline would always kid around and say, I know there's no Joey Licious show. You were just finding a way to get these wrestlers to come and play with you and put you in wrestling holds. <laughs> in a way, she was kind of right. As I was doing all of that, I was still working on my animated show, Victor, with my old playground bandmate, Tommy Snyder. We had just finished animating our sizzle reel, and we were ready to start shopping it to networks. I enlisted Rick Van Meter, one of our former Xerox producers, to help me. I showed Rick the sizzle for Victor, and he absolutely loved it. Soon after, Rick set up a meeting with the head of development at Comedy Central. Comedy Central really loved the sizzle and the Victor character, but they asked if we could get some star power attached to the project. They said if the creators of South Park had brought this in, it would be on the air immediately. That's how much we like it. I now had a new mission. Find a star to either be one of the voices in the show or find a big name who would champion the show as an executive producer. We had created an amazing character for the show Victor, named Stymie Majidowicz, the Hasidic Jewish midget, and I had the perfect person in mind to play him. My old Xerox co-star, Gilbert Gottfried. Typecasting, you say? <laughs> Maybe. I was still in touch with Gilbert from my old Xerox days. I set up a lunch meeting so that we could pitch the project to him. Again, nothing happens without hustle and determination. Comedy Central wanted a star, and I was going to give them one of the biggest voiceover comics ever. After showing Gilbert the Victor animation and telling him that we wanted him to play Victor's arch nemesis, Stymie, the Hasidic Jewish midget, he was sold. But I knew having Gilbert on board wouldn't be enough. I wanted to actually animate a brand new scene with him so that we could really showcase his talents. Tommy and I wrote a small script and we booked Gilbert in a recording studio in Manhattan to record the voices. Here's a couple outtakes from that session. Gilbert is phenomenal. This is mostly improv on his part. The name's Stymie, not Stubby. I've come before you today. And uh, when I say I've come before you, it doesn't mean that I was here first. I mean I'm standing in front of you. I wasn't here before you were. Anyway, I want to be a member of the Jewish Defense League, if such a thing is possible. Here is a wall of the greatest midgets. That's me! 
mini-me, who uh, was able to work with that Michael Myers, which is beyond me, why anyone would want to work with him. And there, the midgets from the Wizard of Oz, all of them. I knew every one of the midgets from the Wizard of Oz, and they were all stooping Judy Garland. Each one of them was nailing Judy Garland. They were pounding her. The midget would like God uh, would would gang rape her. They'd hold down Judy Garland, and then uh, ten midgets each would hold one leg up, and then another ten midgets would hold the other leg up and take time pounding away at Judy Garland, who was on drugs most of the time, so it really didn't matter. But I'm I'm Gilbert gave us so much amazing material that I had to go back and redo the script and all of the storyboards. We were sitting on gold. After the high of filming with Roddy Piper, I wanted more. I was still waiting to hear back from Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan's agents, but in the meantime, I wanted to try to get a wrestler who was a little bit more in the mainstream eye. I decided I wanted to reach out to WWE Hall of Famer Mick Foley. It wasn't only about getting big name wrestlers. It was about getting guys for whom I could come up with a great script. And I had the perfect script in mind for Mick. My usual process once I had a wrestler in mind went something like this. I would write an initial concept or layout of a script. Then I would do my research and try to find the best contact info available. I found Mick's agent's info, but couldn't get a hold of Mick directly. After numerous emails back and forth with Mick's agent, I was getting nowhere. Mick's agent told me, well, Mick just doesn't have time for a project like this. Thank you, but no thank you. Luckily, it's not in my chemistry to take no for an answer. I dug deeper and finally got Mick's personal email address from Jimmy Snooker's wife, Carol. Jimmy had been the reason Mick became a wrestler in the first place, and I knew that once I explained to him the premise of the show and showed him the episode with Snooker, I'd have him hooked. After sending my first email to Mick, my prediction came true. Mick absolutely loved the project and immediately wanted to be a part of it. This is the exact reason I hate going through agents. Once I got to show Mick the project personally, He loved it like I knew he would. The shoot with Mick would be our biggest undertaking yet. The script that I had drafted called for Mick to play all of his wrestling personalities. Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, Dude Love, and Mankind. Each persona brought a unique characteristic to the scene, which I wanted to capture with some crazy camera and editing tricks. I knew in my head what I wanted to see, but I had no idea how to achieve it. Chris and I just started working with a young filmmaker named Adam Hada, who we initially brought on board just to edit our Tito Santana episode and then help film the Roddy Piper episode. He did such amazing work that we enlisted him to figure out how we were going to have all four faces of Foley on screen at the same time. Filming with Mick was just as fulfilling as filming with Roddy and Snooker. It was a little different for me 
because Mick was a newer generation wrestler, and I didn't grow up idolizing him like I did Snooker and Roddy. Still, as far as comedic talent, Mick was by far the sharpest and wittiest wrestler we worked with. Much like when we did voiceovers with Gilbert Gottfried for Victor, Mick was so great at improv that we kept changing the script on the fly. You just sent your mother out to give you milk that doesn't give you a tummy ache. I'm lactose intolerance. Then switch to soy or almond milk. Almond milk? How do you make milk from almonds? Well, it's a very delicate process. As you know, Joey, almonds have no nipples, so therefore it's necessary to grind them into a fine paste and then siphon off all the pulp. Very important. Is that like a Foley family recipe? It's enough about milk. No man uplicious. Listen here. My former employer, he didn't see the potential in me until after I was thrown off of a 27-foot-tall steel structure. But after I was thrown off that 42-foot-tall steel structure, I was world champion all because of a perilous 90-foot plunge. Have a pleasant afternoon. <laughs> bang, bang. Having these wrestlers do all of their finishing moves on me had been a real blast. Snooker blasted me in the head with a coconut. Tito gave me a flying forearm. Roddy put me in a sleeper hold. And now I was going to have Cactus Jack beat me with a barbed wire bat. Mankind hit me with a chair and put Mr. Sacco in my mouth. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything I'd rather be doing. After filming with Mick, I kind of arranged a shoot with the Iron Sheik. The reason I say kind of is because when I spoke to the Sheik's agent, Paige Megan, he informed me that I was welcome to come down and try to get the Sheik to film. <laughs> I had no idea what this meant and asked him to please explain. Paige went on to tell me that the Sheik would be appearing at Caroline's Comedy Club in New York City, but he never knew what kind of mood the Sheik would be in until 10 minutes before the event. Even with this wild uncertainty, I decided to get my crew together and attempt to film with the man that I loathed those many years ago after he beat Bob Backlund at MSG. Chris and I came up with a really short, funny script that would take place in the men's bathroom at Caroline's. After taking a few hours to set up the scene with my crew, the Sheik was still nowhere to be found. I finally called Paige and asked him what was happening and if the Sheik was willing to film. Paige seemed very aloof and kept finding excuses. I told him to call me the second he was in the building. After another hour wait, Paige finally called and said that the Sheik was at Caroline's in the dressing room, but he didn't think filming was going to happen. I told him I'd be right over. Once there, Paige said, Sorry, Joey, the Sheik probably won't do it. This was one of those times that I could have just said, Okay, and quit, but I don't have the quit gene in me. I told Paige that I wanted to talk to the Sheik myself. He pointed to the other side of the room and said, be my guest. I approached the Sheik, who was in a wheelchair and pretty immobile. I greeted him very respectfully and explained to him about the shoot that I had lined up. Before he could even get a word out, I grabbed the wheelchair and started quickly wheeling him to the bathroom where my crew was waiting. He never got the chance to protest. In fact, following close behind was Sheik's longtime tag team partner, Nikolai Volkov, saying, Hey, can I be in the scene too? I wish 
I had a camera rolling for when I was running with the Iron Sheik in a wheelchair with Nikolai Volkov chasing behind. It was an absolute classic comedy sketch. And we hadn't even started filming yet. So not only did I get to film with the Iron Sheik, we quickly changed the script to incorporate Nikolai Volkov as well. The Iron Sheik! Julie Richards, you look like Hulk Hogan, get burned with that, get it further. What the fuck, what is that shit? Me? What about that picnic table you're wearing on your head? The hoaxer would never wear anything to cover up his beautiful, albeit thinning, blonde hair. Oh, no kidding, are you in love to Hulk Hogan? Yes! Well, why don't you go marry this kid? Well, I don't know about marry him. I would definitely live with him for a little while, you know, to see how it goes. I wish he was here, no? Jack, I'm putting him in the common crunch. Nobody talks about the hoaxer that way. Oh, no kidding! Nikolai Volkov? I knew that smell wasn't American. Well, not all I Wow. I use this nice and soft. No, not my color. After that amazing experience with the Sheik and Volkov, my confidence was at an all-time high. I decided to once again reach out to my two ultimate gets, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. I finally got Hogan's longtime agent on the phone after I sent him the edited Mick Foley and Roddy Piper episodes. He told me that he thought the show looked great and that the Hulk watched and also agreed. It would definitely be something that the Hulk would be interested in, but he explained that it would be hard to get the Hulk to commit until the show was officially picked up by a network. I totally understood. Hogan's agent also told me, Feel free to use Hulk's name while trying to sell the show. Then once you have a legitimate offer, we will talk again. It wasn't the best case scenario, but it was still pretty damn cool. I now officially had my idol growing up, Hulk Hogan, as part of a show that I created, Wrestling with Joey Licious. Since I began filming Wrestling with Joey Licious, word had started to get out in the wrestling community that I was recruiting 80s legends to join the show. One morning, I woke up and listened to the voicemails on my phone, and the first message was a very familiar voice. It was none other than Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Jimmy was talking a mile a minute and said, Hey baby, I heard you're doing a wrestling show. Well, it won't be a show unless you have the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, baby. He rambled on for another minute or so, and all I could do was listen and smile. Over the next few weeks, I was getting more and more voicemails from wrestlers about Joey Licious. I know I probably used this word too much, but it was very surreal. I'm not even sure how some of them got my number. Guys like King Kong Bundy, the Honky Tonk Man, and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, all wanted to be part of Joey Licious. Because we already had bigger names on film like Roddy and Mick, I didn't necessarily need to film with these guys yet. Instead, I called all of them and explained the situation and that I really wanted them to be part of the show once we sold it to network. I asked them all to be patient and I'd get back to them soon. But I did get one text message from someone that I wanted to film with as soon as possible. My phone buzzed one morning to signal that I had just received a text message. It was from an unknown number, and I didn't read it right away. About an hour or so later, I was glancing at my texts, and I realized that I still hadn't read that message. When I finally did, I thought it was a joke at first. It went something like this. Hey Joe, Ric Flair here. 
Got your number from Carol Snooker. Said I should give you a buzz. Talk soon, Rick. Wow. I couldn't believe it. Rick Flair, the nature boy, 16-time world champ. Woo! Just texted me. I called Carol Snooker right away, and she told me she mentioned the project to Rick, and he seemed interested. Woo! I called Rick back right away. We talked for about 20 minutes. He seemed interested in the show, and we talked about a few funny possibilities for the episode. It would involve Rick taking Joey Licious shopping for a new $10,000 suit so I could style and profile like the Nature Boy. To this day, I continue to film and write new episodes of Wrestling with Joey Licious with the hopes of getting it picked up by a major network. This is an absolute passion project of mine and some of the greatest, most fulfilling moments of my career. I will never give up on this until Wrestling with Joey Licious takes over every TV in the country. And to quote the immortal Ric Flair, Woo!